You can open up your Bible if you have a copy of the scriptures to the very end of the Bible. Uh, it's Revelation 22. We're going to look at the last two verses of the entire Bible uh, here in just a, a few moments. Uh, so it'll be Revelation chapter 22, verses 20 through 21. Uh, but wanted to encourage you with a few things uh, to keep in mind as we come closer to Christmas. Uh, one is just if you have taken any of the paper ornaments from these giving trees at the back of the auditorium, uh, we would encourage you to try to bring those back with whatever item you uh, were planning to give by next Sunday at the latest if possible. We'll still have those tables up next Sunday. We'll still be fresh off of Christmas. It'll be the day after Christmas uh, next Sunday. But if you're able to bring those back by next Sunday, that'd be helpful for us to be able to, to get those out to the people and the places and the ministries that we have uh, set to do so with. And so thank you to you if you've already participated in that and would commend that even to you as you leave this morning. If you haven't yet, to find an opportunity to be generous uh, to those ministries, to those works of God. Uh, the second thing would be we are having a Christmas Eve service this upcoming Friday evening in this room at 6.30 p.m. Uh, we're going to make it as close to an hour as we can. There'll be uh, a message from Adam Pennard, who uh, we're hoping to send out as a, a church planner in the next few years from our church. He's going to be preaching from John 1 for us. We're going to sing together. We have a video uh, for kids to watch. We're going to try to do a candlelight singing at the end uh, in the stereotypical but glorious way uh, singing at the end of that service so we'd love if you could come at 6.30 on Friday uh, whether by yourself or with family with friends uh, or if there's other believers you know in, in town whose churches aren't having a service and they're trying to find one we'd love to have them come as well so that'll be at 6.30 this Friday and then next Sunday just as a heads up we're going to jump back into our Deuteronomy series already uh, it's a long book so we're trying to faithfully uh, get back into it so Pastor Larry's going to be uh, getting us back into Deuteronomy next Sunday at 10.15. We'll still plan to worship together, but we're not going to have classes. If you're a person or a family or, or a set of friends or whoever who come at 9 o'clock, typically for classes, we're not going to have those next Sunday or the following one. So we're going to take a two-week break from that, and then we'll hit it again uh, once we're back into the rhythms of January. So we'll still worship. We will plan to worship pretty much every Sunday until Jesus comes back, unless he uh, hinders us from doing so. So uh, we'll be here 10.15 next Sunday. All right, since we are looking at the last two verses of the Bible this morning, uh, I, it made me think about could the closing words of famous books or novels, stories. Uh, and there's some maybe that you have read before where uh, you can remember the last line of a book. It left some sort of, of mark upon you. Uh, and I, I was reading this article in the Washington Post by a man named Ron Charles that he wrote a couple years ago where he was writing about books closing words and how, I mean, there's been... He talked about how you've kind of navigated through often hundreds of pages of story and, and crafting these things, and you come right to the end, and he was talking about how difficult it is, but how much potential power there is in the closing words of a story, the closing words of a book. And in that article, this phrase stuck out, and then he gave some examples, but this is what he said in general about books closing words. He said that there are some stories that conclude with such gracefully calibrated language that we close the back cover and feel physically imprinted as though the words were pressed into us by a weight we can hardly fathom. 
I thought that was well said. I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but there's some closing lines of books that when you, how he said, when you close the back cover of the book, you feel imprinted with something. There's some sort of lasting effect, maybe sometimes that you can't even quantify, uh, that happens to you in reading those words. And this morning, we're going to look at the closing words of the Bible itself. It's uh, probably a few thousand pages if you have a physical copy of the Bible. It was written over thousands of years by dozens of authors, right, in different settings, two different people but all for us and all of that testimony all that spirit inspired writing culminates it, it finds its completion here in the couple sentences we're about to read these are are God's closing words to us and so the question naturally is how does it end what what's the last phrase what's the last words from the divine author to us what does he want to impress upon our hearts and what we're going to see is that he wants to impress upon us the, the importance of longing for the return of Jesus. Now, this may seem like a strange text to go to the Sunday before Christmas, but if it's very much in the theme of Advent, not just Christmas, but Advent is what we celebrate this month. It's the anticipation of the coming of Jesus. We're remembering how people anticipated him coming the first time. We, the last couple of weeks we've celebrated that. How there was Old Testament prophecies that built hope for him to come the first time. That we called that sermon, The King is Coming. The second Sunday of Advent, we uh, preached a sermon called, The King Has Come. Where we just talked about the birth of Jesus and how glorious it is that God became, God the Son became a human being. Last Sunday, we uh, preached a sermon called The King, lowercase k, The King is Coming, talking about how Herod and Satan himself are opposed to the people of God and the Messiah of God. But this Sunday, this sermon from the last two verses of the Bible is called The King is Coming Again. And, and that is what, as the scriptures close, you're going to see as we read this, that the Lord wants to imprint upon our hearts is that Christ is coming again. And that we need to have this deep longing and anticipation of that. So, I'm going to read these two verses. They're very short, uh, but I would encourage you to, to pay attention to them. And then we'll work our way back through them and see how, what the Lord would speak to us today through these words of the Apostle John. These words inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, this is how the entirety of the Bible ends. John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote this. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. If this text speaks anything to us, it's this very simple message. This is what I would want to convey to you today. It's not rocket science. It's not complicated at all. It would be this. is to yearn for Christ's return. To yearn for Christ's return. That's what these last notes of Scripture, these last words of Scripture are trying to impart to the people of God, impress upon the people of God, is to yearn for the return of Jesus. And I am convinced, I've been convicted of this individually this week, I am convinced that we as individuals, we as collective church, our church, we as collective church, like capital C church, the worldwide church, we do not contemplate or anticipate the return of Jesus at all how we should. 
We don't contemplate it. We don't think about it. And I don't think we truly anticipate it. I don't think we're like on the edge of our seat waiting for it as we should be. And so, so my hope this morning is by looking at these two short verses that God changes that in me. That God changes that in us. That, that we would contemplate the return of Jesus more. That we would anticipate the return of Jesus more. I don't think we can contemplate it or anticipate it too much. And so we want to spend time this morning, mostly what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through this phrase that John records Jesus himself saying, surely I am coming soon. Your, your text may have worded it a little bit differently, but this, this word of the Lord, this last word of Jesus, surely I am coming soon. I want to, to take it phrase by phrase, word, word by word, because there's, there's weight, there's significance in every single part of that that I think we should pay attention to and learn from. If that Ron Charles gentleman talked about how stories have gracefully calibrated language at the end of these stories, that would certainly be true of the Bible, right? This gracefully calibrated language that, that I want us to pay attention to every note, every, every word in that sentence that Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. If you have read Revelation 22 before, uh, you will note, and you can even see this if you just move your eyes up earlier in the chapter, John has already recorded Jesus saying something very similar to this twice already in this very chapter. It's like gaining momentum as a repeated thing that Jesus is saying to John to say to us, to write to us. If you look back at verse 7, right? If you look at verse 7, uh, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon, right? Simple message. Behold, I'm coming soon. If you look at verse 12, it starts the same way. Behold, I am coming soon. Right? And so as we get to verse 20, when Jesus says again, John records him saying, surely I am coming soon. This is the third time now Jesus has said this, and we should pay attention to it. It's not just a throwaway statement at all. It is there on purpose. It is playing a significant role as the Bible closes. And so I want to go through this phrase, surely I am coming soon. I want to actually start with the second word, I. This is a glorious thing to me, that that. What, how the scriptures end is Jesus speaking in the first person, right? He, he is saying, I am coming soon. He's not just entrusting, although all of the scripture is really Christ's word to us, right? Like, in a sense, every word of this entire book should be red letters, right? Like, that, that it's Jesus speaking to us as his people. But there are some, yours maybe even has these as red letters. Uh, this is a, a thing we do in some English Bibles, that these would be red letter words, where Jesus' words himself were heard by John saying this. And so this isn't just John writing about Jesus saying, He's coming soon, guys. I love this, that he heard Jesus say, I am coming soon. It seems small, but it's so significant. These words carry weight. They should carry weight in your heart and mind as you hear this, because this is first person, I. Think about who that I is, right? We could just read that and forget who is speaking. Who is the one that is saying this? Surely I am coming soon. And if you... What just would sit for a minute and contemplate who this is speaking, it should make you kind of sit up and pay attention when you hear Jesus speak. Jesus, this I in the sentence, is God. God the Son, 
the second person of the Trinity, right, who has existed for all eternity, who has no birthday, like a kid's song says, even though we celebrate kind of his birthday on Christmas, uh, he never did not exist, right? He has always existed, pre-existent. This I, Jesus, is the one who created the world, created the universe, right? He is the one that the scriptures say upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not just did he speak it into existence, but he upholds it. Like he keeps it together, right? That's who this I is. But this divine second person of the Trinity This I, he became a human being. That's what we remember at Christmas, that he is incarnated. He has flesh and blood. He became a living human being like us. This I, Jesus, is one as a human being who, unlike any of us, me included, actually lived perfectly as a human being. That should make you perk up and think, I need to listen to this. That this man lived perfectly from zero to 33-ish. He lived perfectly obedient to God the Father. This is the man, this I in this sentence is the one who performed miracles while he was on earth. Who turned water into wine. Who walked on top of water. Who told storms to stop. Who could make blind people see and made deaf people hear. Who made paralyzed people be able to walk. This man performed miracles. This I in this sentence, the one who is saying this to us, that he's coming soon, is the one who not just lived perfectly, but died sacrificially for us. Like who, though he deserved nothing but blessing and reward from the Heavenly Father, actually took our sin upon himself and was crushed at the cross in our place. Who has experienced death, but who has been raised from the dead and can speak. John heard him from the vocal cords of Jesus speak, surely I'm coming soon. So not just was he sacrificed for us, but he was raised for us from the dead. And this I in this sentence is Jesus who has now ascended to heaven. Like he he died, he was raised, and he ascended to heaven in the sight of many people, went up into the clouds literally, and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, a resurrected human being ruling over the universe. This I, this last thing I want to say, this I who is speaking here, this Jesus, is right now at this moment being worshipped by throngs of angels and human beings who if you could see that right now, if somehow like John got the privilege of seeing throughout a lot of the book of Revelation, if somehow the curtain could be opened and you could see the resurrected Jesus right now being worshipped, I'm not exaggerating, probably by millions and millions, if not billions of beings, it would make you think more about this sentence, wouldn't it? Who this I is that's speaking, that's saying, surely I am coming soon. It would blow your mind if you could see that right now. What the worship, the honor that he is rightfully receiving. That is who said this. That that is who says, I am coming soon. And I love that word I because not only is he speaking in first person, but he says, I am coming soon. Right? Like he could have spoken in the first person, just talked about himself or how he's going to send other people, right? How he's going to send other representatives. But he says, surely I am coming soon. This is a glorious thing because Jesus had sent many other people on his behalf, hadn't he? He he has sent many other beings on his behalf. You can see it even in this chapter if you have time later to go back and look through it. Jesus had even to John himself, the the guy who's writing this, Jesus had sent angels to him, right? 
to show him things, to, to demonstrate things to him, to give him a glimpse into heaven. Jesus had sent angels to John. Jesus had sent, uh, years before this, he had sent apostles out, human apostles, right, to go to the nations with the good news of his death, burial, resurrection. So he had sent angels, he had sent apostles. Even more glorious, Jesus had sent and continues to send even now his Holy Spirit to people. Right? He, he has sent to those who are united with him by faith. Uh, he gives the Holy Spirit to dwell within them, to live within them. Uh, he has sent angels. He sent apostles. He has sent the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, as he concludes the scriptures, says, Surely I am coming soon. I, the resurrected, physical human being, Jesus, am coming to you. And this is glorious for us to hear. This is good news for us to hear because it would be wonderful. It is wonderful when Jesus sends others, right? When somebody came to you with the good news of Jesus, that was Jesus sending them to you. When the Holy Spirit has come and lived within you, that is Jesus sending his spirit to you. But the best thing that awaits us is yet to come is Jesus himself coming. Not just sending ambassadors, not just sending representatives, but sending or coming himself. There's a difference between a king coming and an ambassador coming, right? The king is coming again. The king, Jesus, is going to return to this earth. And whenever I think about this, I, for whatever reason, my mind goes back to the year 2003 uh, when George Bush was president and we had troops who were in Iraq fighting. And I remember vividly on Thanksgiving Day, uh, he had orchestrated this to, to the surprise of many, even to his own family. He had orchestrated for he himself, the president of the United States, on Thanksgiving to go and have Thanksgiving meal with soldiers who were on the ground in Iraq. Iraq. And, and he showed up, and that meant volumes to those soldiers who were there, and even to us who were home, who were alive back then. Uh, it meant volumes to us to see not just generals who were willing to go, not just ambassadors or, or peacekeeping people who were willing to go, but our very leader himself to go and to go to be with the people who were fighting. And there, there was just a felt difference when the leader themselves, the king themselves, the president themselves, the Lord them, himself comes when he returns that should be so hope fueling to us it should should give us gladness of heart to anticipate jesus isn't just going to send others but he himself is going to return to this earth resurrected jesus is going to return to this earth that's the word i surely i am coming soon next i want to look at the phrase am coming i am coming soon I love this. I have meditated on this a lot this week, and I hope I can convey how significant I feel like this is. I love here that what Jesus, what Jesus sets our hope on and what he promises to us is his return to us, not our ascent to him. Like that is what he wants to orient our hearts to the most is not just that when you come to death, believer, when you come to death, fellow Christian, that you get to go be with God, as glorious that is, as you getting to go be with the Lord in heaven. There are some saints I know right now who are near to death that I have prayed that they would get to go soon and that the Lord would take them in peace to go be with him in heaven. Some of you are praying for those very people. But what Jesus sets the minds and hearts of his people, what he sets our minds and hearts on today is not for us to go be with him but for him to return and be with us on the earth 
And that is our great hope as humanity. That I think sometimes we get this wrong. We, we just set our hearts and our hopes on going to be with Christ in heaven. And we forget that there's something even greater beyond that of his return to earth. I think we forget sometimes that Jesus himself, when he became a human being, it wasn't just some temporary like arrangement, some temporary assignment like, okay, you got to become human for a little while so you can go save these people, Jesus, and then you're going to come back to heaven and then you'll just chill here for the rest of eternity and be worshipped. That, that, that it was not temporary. Jesus' humanity, him becoming a human being, coming to our earth was not just a temporary assignment. It was a permanent taking on of human form. And Jesus right now is the only resurrected human being in heaven. Have you ever thought about that before? Our loved ones, if they're believers who have gone to be with the Lord, as strange as this sounds to us, do not have physical bodies right now. Like they, they are with the Lord. It is glorious. I cannot wait to be in heaven if the Lord takes me before Christ returns. But when Jesus took on humanity, that reminds us he is human now. And he doesn't, as great as heaven is, as, as wonderful as it is to be with those redeemed human beings, what he longs for, if I could say this, what he longs for even more is to return to earth and to live with other resurrected human beings. To, to be with other brothers and sisters who he can eat with and drink with and sing with and run with and swim with and whatever. I don't know what all abilities we'll have on the new earth, but what Jesus longs for, I think, is for heaven to come down to earth, for the two to be merged, for there to be this new earth on which he can live with resurrected human beings. And so that is why his pledge to us is, Surely I am coming soon. I am coming back there. Like I'm not, I didn't just die to bring you guys to heaven. I died for that, but I died also and was raised so someday I can return to earth. And I can set up a earth where it will be new, there will be no death, there will be no disease, there will be no destruction. That is what Jesus longs for. And at the return of Jesus, when he says, surely I'm coming soon, I want you to know what sort of freight that carries, what sort of what that means for us, the return of Jesus, it was, is a glorious thing I'd encourage you to study sometime of the things that will happen at the return of Jesus. I just want to give you a short list when he says, I am coming soon. At the return of Jesus, we know that the dead will be raised, right? Every single human being. Enemies and friends of God alike, the dead will be raised with eternal bodies. We know at the return of Jesus that his enemies will be judged more on that in a moment. We know based on Revelation and based on even other texts, even from the Old Testament, that when he returns, there will be a new earth established. There will be a new heavens and a new earth that are established, right? We know based even on these last couple chapters of Revelation that when he returns, his people, those who are united with him, will be comforted, will be healed, well, he talks about wiping away the tears from the eyes of his people. If you want a, a, just a dose of encouragement and hope, read the last two chapters of Revelation often. There is glorious stuff that John had Jesus show him or angels show him about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. If you need fuel for your hope, read these texts. Read more than just these last two verses. Read the last two chapters. In it, you will see a marriage feast described. 
of, of Jesus and his bride. In it you will see a heavenly city that comes down to the new earth where the gates are always open because there's no threats any longer, right? You will see, it talked about how God in the person of Jesus will wipe away the tears from his people's eyes. There is language in here about in this new earth, in this heavenly city on the new earth, that there will not be a temple anymore, which seems weird to us, but it's because God will be with us. We don't need to go to him just in a building, but God himself will be with us. You see that there's reference a few times in these chapters to the trees of life and how they will be for the healing of the nations. And that will bear this different kinds of fruit that God's people will get to eat seemingly forever. Right? There, there is beautiful things, glorious things that are going to happen at the return of Jesus that will involve physically resurrected human beings to do those things with Jesus. Right? And so Jesus says, I am coming soon. And there's a reason in scripture it talks about, in the last song we just sang, it talked about this, how creation groans for the return of Jesus. Because right now things die. Right now things get sick. Right now friendships break. Right now jobs get lost. Right now all these horrible things happen in our world. And, and creation groans for the return of Jesus, the setting up of a new earth where there will be none of that. But that same text that primarily says that, Romans 8, about creation groaning, also says that especially in the people of God, there's a groaning for the return of Jesus. There's a longing for the final, complete adoption of us and the redemption of our bodies. Like that's what will happen at the return of Jesus. I, if I could be so bold as to say this, I th this is an inference from texts like this and many others, but I would suggest to you that even the believers who are in heaven right now as glorious as heaven is, as wonderful as it is, I think even they are longing for the return of Jesus to the earth. Like, have you ever thought about that? Like even, they don't have bodies right now. Like they long for the return of Jesus. I, I thought comparison wise, how could a great thing still, like how could they want more? A comparison I've thought about this week is Adam in the Garden of Eden before the creation of Eve. Have you ever thought of this? He's the first human being, and it, it's said that it's very good, that God is with him. But then it's stated that it is not good for man to be alone, right? There, there was, it was good. It was perfection. But there was something even better that could come. That's what the resurrected Jesus' existence is like right now, is that it's good, it's glorious, he's worshipped, everything is right in heaven, but there's still, he's still alone as far as resurrection, right? He's still alone as far as that permanent state, and when he returns, he will no longer be alone as a resurrected human being. We will get to be with him forever. So Jesus says, surely I am coming. That is glorious good news. But I want to go back to the first word now, surely, surely I am coming soon. That word should give us such encouragement. Surely I am coming soon. Surely. Jesus here is committing himself to this. Right? It is a commitment of Jesus himself to his people. Jesus has said this many times, many ways, right? To quote a Christmas lyric. He has said the same thing many times, many ways already throughout the New Testament that he is going to come again. But this is the last thing he says to his people in the scriptures is surely I am coming soon. And Jesus makes no conditions here, does he? he doesn't, there's no if after that. He, he says surely I am coming soon. 
Surely I am coming soon. There is no potential out. There's no clause that clarifies that. He is saying, I will do it. Like, I will come back. Surely I will come back. And Jesus could have said this without the surely on there, couldn't he? He could have just said, I'm coming soon, right? And based on the trustworthiness of Jesus, that is an understatement to say that's been demonstrated as trustworthiness, we could have taken that to the bank, right? That he is coming soon. But he throws that word on there on the beginning because he knows we're tempted to doubt it. He knows we're tempted to wonder and speculate. You've been in heaven 2,000 years almost now. Are you really coming soon? He wants that surely on there on purpose for us to hear just an extra emphasis. Yes, I am coming. I will return to the earth. I, I, I love, I appreciate so much the little uh, devotional book we gave out to some of the families of the church. It's called The King is Coming. Our family's been reading that uh, most days. Sometimes we've had to double up on two days if we missed one. Uh, but if some of you have been going through that, uh, you've noticed there's a repetition at the end of each day after they read, after you read a story together. There's been this repetition. I, I don't, I can't quote it verbatim, but it, it's reading these Old Testament texts, and then it's like imagining God's people praying and saying, asking God this basic question, will you come back to stay? Like, and it's this, this, this rhythm, like almost every day it says, will you come back to stay? And I have loved our, our little son, Charlie. Uh, a couple days in, he started, he's a goofball. Uh, he's in a class right now. Uh, but, uh, uh, Anytime that question got asked the last couple of weeks now, when we asked and have the people pray, will you come back to stay? He kind of jokingly has gone, uh, yeah. Like just imagining like Jesus saying that to us, like, uh, yeah, I'm coming, like does. And that's obvious, like, and he kind of like cocks his head to the side, just real goofy and funny. But I, I thought this text, Jesus would not be necessarily inappropriately sarcastic or dis, like trivial about things but Jesus saying surely I am coming soon is kind of like uh yeah like I am coming like I know you're going to doubt this I know you're going to disbelieve this I know you're going to wonder because of all the suffering you go through and all the things that in my providence I allow right now but surely I am coming soon like know it I am coming do not doubt do not disbelieve so I love that. I so, I'm so grateful that word, surely, surely I am coming soon. That last word, soon, surely I am coming soon. This is probably the most confusing part of this verse. Uh, surely I'm coming soon. When you know that this was written almost 2,000 years ago, when John heard Jesus say this, this stretches our definition of the word soon, uh, where our minds typically go when we think of the word soon. And I don't have time to, to belabor all that I think is implied in that, and there's a, a lot behind that phrase. But one thing I want to encourage you with from that word itself that I, I think is a good inference, it's implied in the text, is that when Jesus ascended to heaven, and even when he spoke these words, he, he was wanting John, he was wanting us to know that there is a day already decided by the Heavenly Father. When he went back to heaven, it wasn't just indefinitely. 
It wasn't just like, you know what, I'm just going to wait here and it may be forever. Maybe, maybe I'll never come back. When he says soon, that's at least implying, even if it stretches our definition of the word soon, that there is a day set. That there is a time that is set. That in, in God's sight, in the resurrected Jesus' sight, was soon. To us, it feels like it has been long in coming. But that word soon tells us that there is a set time that it is not an indefinite, permanent wait for the people of God, but that someday Jesus is going to return. There is, a, I would say this, there is a countdown clock in heaven, probably not a literal one, but in the mind of God the Father at least, there is a countdown clock that has a particular amount of minutes and hours and days, maybe years, maybe centuries, maybe millennia. I don't know. But there is a set time at which the Father is going to send his son back to this earth to do all those glorious things that I mentioned earlier. He says, surely I am coming soon. So what do we do with that? that, that this promise of Jesus, surely I'm coming soon. I, I think we should do what John did here. Uh, that it, it doesn't end with the word soon, does it? There's a response of John himself at the end of verse 20. He says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And that should be the response of all of us to hearing these words of Jesus. Surely I'm coming soon. The heart response of us that should come forth is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Like that, that we should have, that's why I'm getting at, we should have this yearning, we should have this longing for the return of Jesus. You see it modeled by John, but it should be demonstrated in our lives too, this longing for the return of Jesus. And I think there are so many of us, and myself, I would put in this boat at times that we know mentally, we know intellectually that Jesus is coming back. We, we could pass a theology test, like, yep, he's going to return. When he returns, he's going to do this, this will happen, this is, but we don't long for it. We know what's going to happen, but we don't long for it. We, don't, we would say, amen, but we don't say, come Lord Jesus. Like we, we may have this intellectual agreement, but not a heart resonance. But when John says, amen, that's not just a throwaway word. Like we say sometimes, like, oh, amen, amen. Like uh, when he says, amen, the word amen is this word that just means something like, let it be so. We're like, yes, like let it be so. So he has just heard Jesus say, surely I'm coming soon. And John's first word is, amen, like, yes, like, come Lord Jesus. That is what I want to happen. That's what I need. That's what this world needs. Do it. Like, you've said you're going to do it. Do it. Right? So it's a, a statement not just of, like, intellectual agreement, but of resonance, of saying, yes, please let this happen. And this is what the, this response of, or this Jesus speaking a Christian responding is what the Christian life is all about, right? Jesus saying, surely I'm coming soon. And John saying, amen, come Lord Jesus. That is what the Christian life is, is God telling us things, God promising us things, and us saying, yes, like I believe that, I want that, right? That God speaks and we believe and we conform our longings to his promises, the things that he says we do, we try to, if we're lacking a desire for that thing, but he has said, I'm doing this and it's good, then we try to conform our desires and say, if I don't have a taste for that yet, I need to grow it. I need to pray for it. I need to, to want it and ask for it. I want to have that longing in me. So he says, amen, come Lord Jesus. That should be the resonating message of our hearts, the resonating response of our hearts. 
We should have this longing for Jesus to come back, to set up his eternal kingdom, to resurrect all human beings, to, con- to judge his enemies, to bring blessing that is permanent, to, to grant eternal life. We should long for this. But I, I want to note that John says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Right? And I want you to hear me, if, if there's those of you in the room who are unbelievers, who, who don't trust in Christ, who haven't placed your faith in him, I particularly want you to hear this. As, as we talk about the return of Jesus, how someday he is going to return to this earth. You've already heard the resurrected Jesus say, surely I am coming soon. He is going to, whether you believe it or not. Like he is going to return to this earth. But his return to this earth is only good news for you if you can truly, like John, call him Lord Jesus. Jesus' return to this earth is not going to be good news for everyone. It, it, it is not. That you won't hear that message preached at Christmas a lot. We, we preach sentimental messages of just feel good things. But as we anticipate the return of Jesus, his second coming to our earth, I want you to know that his coming has a, a, a judgment side to it as well. If you have the scriptures open, I want you to just jump back up to verse 12. Jesus there, when he said, Behold, I'm coming soon, even though he knows he's going to do these glorious things for his people, in verse 12, when he said, Behold, I am coming soon, this is how he finished the sentence. He said, Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus said that when he, and when he comes back to this earth, that to some, to those who are his enemies, he's going to bring recompense. That's like a repayment or a judgment for the, thing, the ways that they have, the ways that we as, as sinful human beings have rebelled against him, that we have rejected him. And when he returns, he, I'll say it this way. Jesus is going to do one of two things with the wrath of God. All of us deserve the wrath of God, myself included, you included, for our rebellion against him. We deserve, as counterintuitive as that seems, that's what God himself says, is that we deserve judgment. We deserve recompense. There's going to be two thi- one of two things that happens with the wrath of God that's deserved for your sin. First option is that if Jesus can be the bearer of God's wrath on the cross, Like that he can be the one who bore your sin. Like who had it counted to him. Suffered and died in your place. So it might be removed from your record. You might be pardoned. You might be forgiven. He can either be the bearer of God's wrath on the cross. Or he can be the, this isn't even a word, but the bringer of God's wrath at his return. That's, those are the only two options is that Jesus either bore your wrath or the wrath of God for your sins on the cross or he is going to bring the wrath of God upon you at his return. That is horrible to think about. It is awful to think about the judgment that all of us in this room deserve at the return of Jesus because we have stiff-armed him. We have rejected him. We have run away from him. We have rebelled against him in more ways than we even know or acknowledge or realize. 
And we deserve for God's wrath, his judgment to come upon us. We deserve, when, as we would be raised on that day when Jesus comes back, what we deserve is not to be part of that new earth. What we deserve is to be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan and his angels and all the enemies of God. That's what we deserve. But this is where it's glorious to remember what Jesus did the first time that he came. The first time that he entered into this earth, it was to live and to suffer in our place, to suffer in your place for your sins. So that this wrath of God might come down on him instead of on you. That is what he has done for us and is coming the first time. And that's what I'm telling you right now, if you've never heard it before, is that Christ died for the sins of human beings like us. He, he bore the wrath of God upon the cross for us in our place and what he calls forth in response for us now, while we wait for him to return, what he calls forth from us now is a response of repentance and faith. I am sorry that I have rebelled. I am sorry that I have sinned against you. Please forgive me because of your son Jesus. And I promise you, if you come to Jesus, if you come to him repenting of your sins and trusting in him, you will receive forgiveness. You will be born again. You will have new eternal life given to you forever so that when Christ returns someday, whether that is soon or millennia from now, and your dead body is raised, it will not be raised to judgment, but it will be raised to eternal life. And so Jesus can either be the bearer of God's wrath on the cross or the bringer of God's wrath at his return. But it all hinges upon whether you truly have him as your Lord. Only people who view him as Lord can say, Amen, come Lord Jesus with excitement. If he is not your Lord, you should not be praying that. I'm dead serious about that. Like you should be praying that he waits. You should be praying that he moves in your heart to place your faith in him. The, the, the return of Jesus is gloriously good news, but only for those who can truly call Jesus Lord. Who can say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And I love verse 17 because sometimes we like to think that we need to do something to get forgiveness. We need to, to give Jesus something. We need to pledge something to him like as a, a token to, to, get, uh, to pay a price to receive his forgiveness. I love verse 17 because John has been seeing this, these waters that flow from the throne of Jesus. And in verse 17, there's this language of, of the spirit and the bride saying, come, like, come to Jesus. And then the one who hears this good news of, about Jesus saying, like, come to me, like, I, I need you. There's a, this message of saying, please come. And then at the end of 17, John says, let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires the water of, or let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That is gloriously good news to you. You don't have to have some payment of good works to show to Jesus to get his life, to receive the water of life. You come to him in brokenness and faith, and he will give that to you, even today. So he says, amen, come Lord Jesus. The very last sentence, I, I won't belabor this. This is good news. The very last sentence of the Bible is, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. I love this because right now, as the people of God, we are waiting, aren't we? We're waiting again, just like the Old Testament saints, we are waiting for Jesus to return. But this good news of this last verse is that God grants us grace as we wait. 
Right? It is hard to wait. It's difficult to wait. But he grants grace to us. That's what John is praying or promising in a way, is that as we wait, the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with all. And I'll just offer a couple quick thoughts, how that grace of Jesus can come to us, how we can receive it as we wait for his return. As we wait for his return, one of his gifts of grace to us is that as we remember his return, we are bolstered, we're sustained in our suffering. Right? That is a grace of God to sustain our faith while we wade through difficulty, while we see loved ones die, while we feel our own bodies corrode, while we walk through the pains of life. We can speak to ourselves these true words, surely I'm coming soon. And he can sustain us by his grace with faith that someday he will return. Uh, And we can have a hopefulness even in our suffering. We can speak truth to ourselves and to each other. Do this. Like when you're suffering, when you're going through pain and trial, speak this truth to yourself that, you know what, someday, and this doesn't make the pain go away, but speak to yourself, speak to ourselves. Someday Jesus is coming again. Someday he will wipe tears from our eyes. Someday he will bring this new heavenly city down to earth and we will live in his kingdom where we won't have any fears. We won't have any worries. We won't have any anxieties. We won't have any threats. Speak those things to yourself. They, they don't feel true yet. In a sense, they're not true yet, but someday they will be. And so a grace of Jesus is to sustain our faith in suffering. A grace of Jesus to us while we wait is also a motivation to evangelize, a motivation to go share the good news of Jesus. Because, friends, like there are many people in this room, many people who you're going to see at Christmas this week, many people in your workplaces who should not be anticipating the return of Jesus, who are enemies of God and who don't even know it. Like the, the judge, they don't even care about Christ, let alone fear his coming. They don't even know the bad news, let alone the good news. And we have a responsibility as the people of God, while Jesus waits in heaven, we have the responsibility and the opportunity to tell them the good news of Jesus, to to tell them about his death, tell them about his life, tell them about his resurrection. We have a, a motivation to evangelize. And the last thing I would say, a grace of Jesus as we wait as we remember his eventual return to us, is that we should be, as the people of God, if we remember the eventual return of Jesus, we should be weaned off of just scrambling for the things of this earth, like longing to be able to give my kids certain presents, or longing for a certain promotion at work, or or longing for certain experiences. We live sometimes as Christians as if this is not true. Like we think I need to just get what I can in these whatever 70 years that God gives me on this planet. We functionally live like that's the end of the story. We functionally live like when I go to heaven that that's the end. That I've gotten everything I could. I ringed everything out of life that I could. And we are forgetting that a million years from now. If you're a believer in Christ, you will be on a new earth with a resurrected body enjoying stuff way better than what you enjoy now. But we live as if the, end, the, the grave is the end of our story. And when we functionally believe that, we start scrambling to get every experience, every monetary thing, every relationship, every uh, earthly joy that I can. But if we remember, man, someday 
Jesus is going to return. Someday I'm going to be raised from the dead. And someday this life that I am worried about so much and the things I'm clamoring about so much right now will be so far in the rearview mirror, I will not even care anymore. Like we, we need to not live as if this life is all there is. These several decades maybe that God grants me are all that I have left, but live with the hope of eternity. That should give us a contentedness with what God has given us, Right? And it should give us a generosity with what God's given us. And I'm not trying to hoard it and hold on to it, but I'm giving freely of what God gives to me because I know death is not the end and even heaven is not the end. But I'm inheriting a new earth from Jesus himself. Many of us think of the great commission as the end, the last thing that Jesus said, it's a part of the Bible in Matthew 28, where Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And I've probably even preached sermons before we say, that's the last words of Jesus to his people uh, before he uh, leaves. But that was his last words before he left to ascend to heaven. What we just read this morning is Jesus' last words in the scriptures to us, even from heaven itself. If Matthew 28 is the great commission, this isn't like coining some great phrase, but it kind of goes with it. If Matthew 28 is the great commission, what Jesus tells us to go do, I think we should think of these verses in Revelation 22 as his great commitment of what he will do for us, right? That someday he will return for us. And while we work for him, while we serve him now, following his great commission, we believe his great commitment to us that someday he will return. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together and then we'll sing a closing song. Father in heaven, we, uh, some of us literally, uh, have closed the back cover of the book of our Bible this morning. We have read your parting words to us. As we started this morning, I pray that its, its final words, your final words to us, would be imprinted on our hearts, that it be imprinted on our minds, that it be imprinted on our souls, and that it may have a a deep and lasting effect on us, bringing about a a longing for the return of Jesus and anticipation for the return of Jesus. And even as we enjoy your good gifts in this life, may we have a deep longing for the gifts that are yet to come, those resurrected bodies of that new earth. God, even as we sing, may you be honored in how we sing and what we sing, and may you move upon our hearts. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.